Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, hello, Real Life Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again today. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. Uh, it's, a, it's a good season in the life of our church. Uh, something cool happened to me last Sunday at church. Uh, you may know now that we're worshiping in three languages every week. We have a Japanese congregation that worships with us every Sunday afternoon. And this last Thursday, we started a Spanish-speaking Bible study that we're hoping grows into a Spanish-speaking worship service. And so uh, we're worshiping in three languages every week. Last Sunday, I walked into the uh, back of the Japanese congregation while they were having their church service, and uh, as fate would have it, I walked in right when uh, Pastor Yuichiro said, um, we used to not have a building, uh, but now we have a building. Uh, we used to not have donuts, but now we have donuts. We, we gave them some of our Krispy Kreme donuts after church. Because we used to not have donuts, but now we have donuts. He goes, he goes, we may not have a lot of things, but you know what we have? We have Jesus. And, uh, and so it felt good to walk in at that moment. and know that that's what's going on in the walls of this church uh, every week. Uh, and so I'm thankful that you are a church that is generous and supportive uh, and allows us to host uh, guests like that and uh, allows us to worship in three languages every week. That's, that's really cool. That's good for my heart. Um, today is Father's Day, uh, though, and uh, here at Real Life, what we do on Father's Day, as you know, is it's, it's Bacon Fest. We, uh, we, many pigs give their lives for this Sunday every year, and uh, we cook 100 pounds of bacon uh, because, uh, because we love Jesus, and that's somehow those two are interwoven. No, they are. Um, We've been doing this for years now. Uh, we celebrate Father's Day with bacon. Our hope is that one day people think of uh, bacon and Father's Day the way we think of Thanksgiving and turkey, and, uh, and it's starting to spread. We've had associate pastors go out from our congregation to become senior pastors, and they've started Bacon Fest on Father's Day at their churches. We've had guest musicians who've gone back to their home churches and uh, told their pastors about Bacon Fest, and so we're, we're hoping this is just contagious, and we're evangelists in a way is what I'm saying. We're, we're hoping this spreads uh, all over the world because Jesus said you should pray uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and I'm pretty sure heaven smells like bacon, so we're just, we're just starting the, the process here. There is actually a deep theology to bacon, uh, and if you've been here before on Father's Day, you know this, but this is important. There's actually, and I'm not, I'm not joking now, there's a deep theology to bacon, because in the first century world, in Jesus' world, dietary laws were a big thing. Uh, for the Jewish people, there were all kinds of foods that they couldn't eat, and in particular, the Jewish people could not eat pork. As far as we know, Jesus in his lifetime never ate bacon. And his disciples would have not eaten it in the, in the early years. But Jesus at one point teaches, he says, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. It's how you, how you speak, how you present yourself that, that measures your, your moral character. It's not what you eat. So he actually, he start, Mark says in parentheses at one point, he's starting to reject the ceremonial religious dietary laws of the Jewish people. And then when the apostle Paul <clears throat> went around preaching the gospel, this was, this was a hot social issue of the day, the, the way we debate hot social issues today, because 
in the, in the Greek and Roman marketplaces, uh, meat would be cooked and offered to idols. So if you went to the temple of Zeus or the temple of Apollo, you'd go and you'd offer, offer meat to these gods. And the meat would then be sold in the marketplace. And if you went and bought meat that had been offered to Zeus and then ate it, it was a way of signifying, I'm with Zeus. Uh, I'm with Apollo. And, and so the Jewish people were very devout, and they said, uh, in addition to the, the foods that we would not eat, we'd never eat food that was offered to an idol, because we don't want to mist- be mistaken uh, in, in our allegiances. We don't want people to think that we somehow worship Zeus. And the Apostle Paul puts his foot down, and he says, uh, all foods are clean. Uh, I, I know I can eat anything I want, and eating meat does not make me unclean. And so there's a pivot in this hot social debate of the day, and, and Paul puts his foot down and says, that is not uh, how our righteousness is measured. And in, in that, Paul, uh, Paul puts away some of the, the ceremonial laws of the Jewish faith, uh, some, of the, uh, some of the dietary laws of the Jewish faith. And because of that, on Father's Day at Real Life Church, we now celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. We are not bound to meaningless religious traditions, uh, and pr- in particular as it relates to one a particular animal and a particular food that I like a lot. So, we're in a series of teachings now on the weekends called Know What I Like About Jesus. Uh, and you know what I like about Jesus? Uh, I like the fact that he does not let religion get in the way of people's faith. Because in his day, and in our day, there are all kinds of people who will let religion get in the way of people's faith. Uh, and that is not who we are here at Real Life. Uh, I want to show you that in a text today, uh, in a debate that Jesus has with some religious leaders. But first, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you call us to yourself, and you want a real, authentic relationship with us where we can be ourselves before you, where we can be vulnerable before you, knowing that we are known, knowing that there is nothing that we can't hide nor need to hide. Uh, I thank you that you love us in all grace. And I thank you that you went to the cross to forgive and wash away that which is broken within us. So now, make us new. Send your spirit and renew us and make us new. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, I want to show you a debate that Jesus had with some religious leaders of his day uh, because these were the folks who would let religion get in the way of people's faith. And Jesus is just going to rail against them because of that. There's only one group of people that Jesus regularly gets in debates with, and that is uh, hypocritical, legalistic, religious people. And so open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 uh, and uh, follow along with me as we look at this text. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 37. Uh, Follow along with me and listen to the word of God. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. Now remember, the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day, the, the rabbi, theologian, lawyers. Uh, They are the most respected and the most feared among Jewish society because they know God's law and they have the authority to apply God's law in all legal cases the way a judge might today. They get to decide the cases uh, of how God's law is interpreted in their culture. So Jesus goes and eats with this very important person. Uh, He eats with this Pharisee. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Okay, so now two things. Number one, 
wash your hands before you eat, people. It's just gross. Before you eat bacon and before you go shake hands with the pastor at the door. Wash your hands. I've seen how many people come running out of the bathroom with their hands bone dry. You go back and you wash your hands, kids. That's what we do. What Jesus is doing here is not a matter of sanitation. Jesus is not honoring the ceremonial washing processes that were part of the expression of the Jewish faith. So there were all kinds of washing rituals that they practiced. There were certain ways they washed their dishes. There were certain ways they washed their clothes. There were certain sort of bathing rituals that they had that were not about sanitation. They were symbolic ways of saying, we we need to be ritually pure to honor our God. And so what Jesus is violating is those practices. This isn't, he didn't go wash his hands and his hands were dirty. That's not what this is about. This would be like baptism. When somebody decides to believe in Jesus here at Real Life, we go out in the courtyard, we fill up the baptismal, and we baptize them. And while a baptism might clean you off because it's you getting dunked in water, the purpose of baptism is not cleaning. The purpose of baptism is the symbolism of what's going on inside of us. Just as water washes off the outside, when we believe in Jesus, Jesus washes off the inside. And so baptism is not a cleaning ritual, it's a symbolic ritual. And Jesus is not honoring the ceremonial symbolic rituals of the day. You know what I like about Jesus? He didn't let religious practices get in the way of people's faith. And so this Pharisee sees that Jesus isn't following the traditional customs, and it jumps out at him. Well. You want to be careful about correcting Jesus because Jesus often has something to, to say about it. Uh, verse 39, then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of a cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. The only group that Jesus gets in conflict with are not all the the pagans and sinners around him. It's the self-righteous, legalistic, religious people, especially those who are hypocritical, who like to enforce laws on other people and find loopholes for themselves. Jesus says, look, you'll wash the outside of a bowl, but not the inside of it. Think Think about how gross that is, to clean the outside, but not the part that the food goes in. He says in the same way, you're, you're happy putting on religious decorations on the outside so people see you and respect you, but on the inside, you're selfish, you're greedy. That's spiritually gross. Don't, don't live that way. Don't, don't clean up the outside so that people can see you and ignore what's on the inside. That's what matters to God. What constitutes a clean inside is caring for the poor. What does it mean to say that you believe in God and never know a poor person by name? What does it mean to follow Jesus and never feed anyone? Jesus says that's what this is about. When when you love God and when you know how much God loves you, that ought to just ooze out of your pores, especially for those who are least among us. That that ought to dominate your expression of faith. Not all the, the practices of the Pharisees. He goes on. Now Jesus is on a tear. Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So here's Jesus' next charge against the Pharisees. You go out and you harvest your crops, you grow you know, mint and herbs and things like that, and you bring the first 10% of those to the temple, that was called tithing, that's what they did, and you bring that as an offering because you can check that box. 
you, you know you followed the rules. I brought in a tenth of my, my mint. And they actually had ceremonies where they would scatter the mint throughout the temple so the temple would smell like mint. We don't do that today. We tithe on our finances. It would be weird if you brought mint in and shoved it in the offering box at church. So please stop that. Um, but, but in their day, that's, that's what they would do. They would bring the first 10% of their crops. And Jesus says, yeah, you, you do that and you feel good about yourself for doing it, but you, you neglect justice. You don't care about the minority voices among you who can be ignored. This runs deep in the Jewish expression of faith. If there is a stranger among you, you take them in as you treat them as one of your own. You treat them like your, your family. If there is a foreigner living in your nation, you treat them as one of your own, not as an outsider. Don't neglect people whom you can get away with neglecting and then go to the church and tithe. He says you should do the latter, but don't neglect the foreign tithe, but don't do it without justice because that's a waste. That's meaningless expression of religion that is not close to the heart of God. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplace. The, the Pharisees are all about being recognized for who they are, and they like to march down to the front row and sit in front to be seen. I, I notice here at Real Life on the weekends, you guys are so humble and so saintly, you just leave the, the front pews empty every week. Every single, it doesn't matter how much how crowded the room gets, you will not sit in the front pews. And I, you know, I respect you for your uh, humility. Or I'm concerned that uh, for some reason you don't want to get near me, whichever, that's fine. Uh, actually, at real life, the nicest pew is the one in the back because it's the one that's closest to the Krispy Kreme. But, um, but Jesus says, don't, don't let faith be primarily an expression that draws attention to yourself. Faith isn't a, a, isn't a matter of showing off your social status by saying, look at how good I am. That does nothing for you and that does nothing for God. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. You're something that's clean on the outside and dead underneath. Uh, now, uh, so Jesus is railing on them. Now, now they're gonna try to get a word in uh, edgewise. Verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him. Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Okay, so now when the coach is railing on the team and telling them they didn't play all that well, don't stick up your hand and say, hey coach, it sounds like you would say that I didn't play well either. Because yeah, as a matter of fact, that's how that's gonna go. Jesus replied, and you experts of the law, woe to you! Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. You religious people love laws that you can enforce on other people while you go the easy route. Okay, now skip down to verse 52. This is the heart of the passage. This is, this is what Jesus is after. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. You've, you've taken away the key to knowledge. What Jesus is after here is that the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are making God's law so unappealing and unbearable that no one wants to get close to it. They themselves are not following it. They're, leaving, they're leading greedy, self-indulgent lives. They themselves are not following God, and they're making God appear so unbearable that nobody else will get near him either. It's like this. Imagine you own a beach home. And you, you love the fact that you have this, this home on the beach and you could go there and relax and enjoy the waves and get away from it all. But then, but then you think to yourself, wait, if I, if I go down there, I'm going to have to pack. I'm going to have to drive through LA traffic to get to the beach. 
I'm going to have to unpack and set up. I have to go to the grocery store to get groceries for my beach home. It's, you know, when I get sand and my shoes and everything, it's a lot of work. I'm just not going to go. I'm just not going to go. It's, it's too much work to go to the beach house that I own. I'm just going to, I'm not going to do it. And then you think, well, but, you know, I should probably use it and make some money, so I'm going to rent it out. And you think, well, but that's going to be a lot of work too. Because if I rent it out, I have to go make sure it's clean and ready. I have to stock the bathrooms and things. And then I'm going to have to like go in afterwards and clean it out and spray the Febreze or whatever. I don't own a beach home. I don't know what you do. But you know, what? get it ready and clean it up afterwards. And you think, that's going to be a lot of work too. I don't really want to do that. So I'm not going to rent it out either. And now you have a beach home that you will not use and you don't rent out to anyone else. The Pharisees' beach home is a relationship with the Father. They will not get near it because they don't want the demands of it. They want to live self-important lives in which they hoard things for themselves. And the thought of letting someone else get near it bothers them too. So they present God and God's law in a way that is so miserable that no one else wants to get near him. What, What good does it do you to own a beach house that you won't use and you won't let anyone else use either. What good does it do you to stay away from the kingdom of heaven and make it seem so unappealing to people around you that they don't want to go there either? This is how the passage ends. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions waiting to catch him in something he might say. The Pharisees were like a wasp nest on a tree branch that I threw rocks at when I was eight years old. And you can only poke them so much before they try to sting you. Know what I like about Jesus? Jesus didn't let religious expression get in the way of people's faith. I talked to a guy uh, just this last week, had lunch with him. Um, We crossed paths somehow and decided we'd get together. Uh, I had never met him before, but we sat down to lunch to talk about uh, life and such. And he told me ahead of time, he goes, you need to know um, I'm spiritual, but I don't practice Christianity. Is that a a big deal to you? And I said, you know, real life is a church for people who don't go to church. And I look at Jesus and I think Jesus, Jesus favored people who were outsiders, who were unaccepted by the religious majority around them. And he says, that really resonates with me. So we got together and we, we talked about life and this and that, but, but I brought up again, I said, so you said uh, spiritual but not religious, right? Spiritual but you don't practice Christianity. Tell me about that. And we talked about that for a while. And you know the one question he had for me? He said, so now do you believe that if I don't believe in Jesus, I don't go to heaven in the end? Because you know what Christians are known for? Who we keep out. He didn't say, hey, you know what question I have? You guys care about the poor more than anybody else on earth. What is going on at church that you are so good about caring for the poor? That question never came out of his mouth. You know what he didn't say? He said, you guys love justice so much. I've never seen an organization that is so good at protecting people that other people are ignoring. That, he never, that we never got to that subject. You know what he asked? Am I out in your book? Because that's what Christians are known for. Where we put our fences, who we keep out of our beach houses. And I told him, look, imagine somebody on the other side of the earth 
lives in a place where they never in their lives hear the name of Jesus, just never hear about him, and they die and they stand in front of God. Or imagine somebody who lives in a place where they hear about Jesus, but it's in such a a horrific, abrasive way that the Jesus they hear about is somebody no one would want to get near. And that person dies, and they stand in front of God. The Bible doesn't say anything about those people. But you know what it says? It says that God loves them more than their own mama did. God loves my kids more than I love my kids. God loves me more than I love myself. And so I want to take people like that and entrust them to the hands of a father who loves better than I do. You know what else the Bible says? The Bible says that God is better at justice than I am. That God cares more deeply about righteousness than I do. And that God's wisdom is deeper than the deepest Supreme Court justice. I want to take people like that and entrust them to the God who is more wise than I am. And that's the most I can say. And he said, that resonates with me. So pray for my friend. Pray that he would find Jesus. And pray that he would never practice Christianity the way he means practice Christianity, that he would never fall into mindless ritual and religion that has no real purpose for him. Because the truth is, if you're out there and you're saying, I'm spiritual but not religious, it might be the case that I would reject exactly the Christianity that you have rejected. But I think you need to embrace the Jesus that I've embraced. You know what I like about Jesus? He didn't let religion stand in the way of people's faith. Jesus, uh, in uh, his ministry, uh, constantly conflicted with one group of people, and it was, it was the Pharisees. It was the religious teachers of the day who used their religious doctrines to make other people miserable while they themselves were hypocrites. It's astonishing to me that someone who spent his ministry doing that has created a movement that is now so full of Pharisees. How did we get there? The... Uh, lead singer of U2, uh, Bono, uh, once said that, um, uh, he said, Christians are hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it. Uh, which is sort of, it's sort of double-edged, right? The, the followers of Jesus, uh, Jesus actually has to put up with. Jesus has to tolerate the followers of Jesus. But he does tolerate us, right? He, he, this passage begins with Jesus going to dine with a Pharisee, which is a way of identifying with him, a way of saying, you're, you're one of mine. I'm with you. Jesus' longing is not to condemn the Pharisees. Jesus' longing is to save the Pharisees. And so if you've lived one of those righteous kinds of lives and you kind of look askance at people whose lives are broken, Jesus loves you every bit as much. Remember that that prodigal son story, that parable that Jesus tells where there's a dad and one son runs away and is just kind of a punk. I think it's the younger son. It's usually the younger one, right? Just runs away, kind of a punk, and wastes all his dad's money and comes back. And the older son, who's been good all along, is out in the backyard pouting and won't go to the party that the dad throws for the, the younger son. Dad goes out to the backyard and says, you come to the party too. And if you've lived a life where you've tried to do things right, and the hardest part of your faith is grace, Jesus loves you too but he wants to work your heart in the direction of his heart. And his heart looks like this. 
there was a, a, a Catholic church in, uh, I believe it was in Ireland, uh, about 100 years ago, after the First World War. And uh, after the First World War, uh, there was, um, there was a, a soldier who was buried uh, outside this church. And the soldier was not Catholic, and he wasn't from Ireland. He was from another country, but he ended up being buried there. And because he was not Catholic and because he was foreign, they could not, according to the church's teachings, they could not bury him in the church cemetery. The church cemetery was, was for Catholic believers. And so they had this uh, sort of unceremonious uh, funeral, and they actually buried him just outside the fence. Uh, a letter was sent to the family of this soldier uh, and a description, and they were sort of mortified that their, their uh, beloved one was now buried outside a, a fence in, uh, in this other country. And so they traveled there to uh, pay honor. And when they arrived, they were shocked to find out that the, their, their loved one was buried inside the church cemetery, inside the, the fence. And they went to the priest and they said, um, we were told that he couldn't be buried in the, the cemetery. Did you, did you dig up the grave and move it? And the priest said, well, I, I couldn't with that. But it didn't seem right that he was buried outside. And so I moved the fence. And what the world needs is a group of people who follow Jesus, who are only going to put fences exactly where Jesus put them and not anywhere else. The world is deeply spiritual but does not want to practice some kind of Christianity that only a Pharisee would love. So if, if you've been following Jesus for a season, if you believe in him and, and want to call him your own, don't go putting fences where he wouldn't put them. And if you're on the outside looking in and wondering at Christianity, if you're looking and trying to figure out what we're all about, Try to look at the faith of Jesus and not the religion of the Pharisees. That's what we're after. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love us and that you would go the distance of the universe to live among us and die for us and call us to yourselves. So Jesus, by the power of your spirit, teach us to keep our eyes focused on you. Teach us not to become zealous for traditions that push people away, but instead to live for things like justice and love for the poor and love for people who are far away from you. As we do so, may we point the world towards Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.